Hey, Jim. How you doing? Good morning, Brian. Good morning, everyone. I'm Jim Phillips, and here's what's happening this week on Town Square Sunday. The annual fundraiser for the Suicide Prevention Organization, Samaritan's South Coast, is happening this month at Whites of Westport. Director Darcy Lee will stop by with details of the fundraiser and an update on the work of the Samaritans. The ongoing opioid crisis continues in Massachusetts and in Greater New Bedford. Carl Alves of PACA joins us with an encore interview. He says the crisis is as deadly as ever. And programs manager Joe Ritter pops in this week with a rundown of programs in February and March at the New Bedford Fishing Heritage Center. Join us for Town Square Sunday, Sunday morning at 6 and 11 on 1420 WBSM and 99.5 FM. Thanks, Jim. I, I want to talk about this um, strike that the United States pulled off yesterday over in the Middle East. But before, before we go down that particular road, I got this story yesterday pretty much around the time that I was finishing up Tim's show. I got it from the Boston Globe. And it seems... Let me back up. We have talked for a little over a week now about the ongoing problems at Stewart Health, the hospitals, and how that's filtering down. We had a woman call, I believe, yesterday or the day prior about Primacare, which I still don't know, but I'll take her word for it, that Primacare is a part of the Stewart network. Hawthorne Medical on Fonts Corner Road is definitely a part of that network. Stewart Hospitals is $50 million in the red. Now, they have been looking to the Commonwealth, our tax dollars, for a bailout or some type of help. Maybe, maybe help in a bailout or are two different things. Governor Healy says no bailout. So again, I'm not exactly sure what bailout means. Bailout could mean that we'll take care of everything for you, like uh, what happened to the two um, too good to fail um, banks and, and companies like that. Or it could mean that, that you're not going to get anything from the state. $50 million. Now, Stewart came out yesterday afternoon and stated that, up, oh, we've got some money to stay afloat for a little while while we try to uh, maneuver some of these hospitals. The story that came out from the Boston Globe just absolutely dropped my jaw. Not that I should be surprised. After all of these days, all of these years, why am I surprised, surprised, surprised? According to the Globe, Dr. Ralph De La Torres, who is the CEO of Stewart, has a 190-foot yacht. Many decks on said yacht. Elegantly sculpted creation of glass 
boutique and steal. Six bedrooms hold dozens of passengers on said yacht. And that doesn't include the cabins for up to 15 crew members. The yacht is called the Amaral. I don't think it's any relation to Josh. The Amaral has a library, a living room, a dining room, a gym, and a sun-drenched whirlpool on the top deck. Not bad, huh? This yacht cost about $40 million. Now, again, it's hard for me to tell this CEO what might be a good idea and what might not be a good idea. But is anybody thinking like I'm thinking right now? A $40 million yacht. Your company is $50 million in the red. Maybe instead of asking the Commonwealth and the taxpayers to help you out, maybe you should look at the CEO and say, hey, man, why don't you, why don't you sell that yacht? Maybe, maybe turn around and just get a $10 million yacht and, and take some of that other money and, and help the company out, help the hospitals out, help help pay the rent, help so our, our tools and equipment don't get repossessed. Is that asking too much? Now, I guess I should put myself in Dr. De La Torre's position. I worked hard for my money. And I bought a toy, a $40 million yacht, with my own money. But if you're the CEO, shouldn't you have a little conscious, conscience? Just a little? Just a little, teeny beeny? $40 million yacht. By the way, said yacht... It's not parked around here. I hear it's parked somewhere in the Galapagos Islands. So, again, not knowing exactly where it's registered. But if he registers that boat outside of the United States, man, that's that's tax-free. $40 million yacht company that is $50 million in the red. Well, I know what I would say to Antonio Cabral if he has any say. I know what I would say to Senator Montigny if he has any say. I know what I would say to my state rep, Markey, if he has a say. Don't allow for a bailout of this company. It seems that there, if, if the CEO has a $40 million yacht, how much money is he making? Okay, if, if, maybe you don't buy a $40 million yacht in, with one swing. But you got to be making quite a few million bucks in order to get out a loan 
for a yacht like that. I, I'm sorry. I'm, I pontificate over it, but this company is talking to the state. We need help. We need help. Yeah, you, you got some in your CEO. Let him help you out. 508-996-0500 to get on to the program. According to the Associated Press, the U.S. military strikes on somewhere around 85 different targets, seven locations in Iraq and Syria. As the Associated Press is saying, a massive barrage of strikes. And we're told that there could be more. And in fact, to expect more. According to the president, President Biden president, our response began today. It will continue at times and places of our choosing. Which goes in line with what we have been hearing for the past several days. The president added this warning. Let all those who might seek to do us harm know this. If you harm an American, we will respond. Okay. But it begs this, and I think this is a logical question to ask. Can't another country, Syria, Iraq, Iran... Jordan, you name the country. Can't they turn around and say, well, if you harm one of our people, we will respond? I mean, doesn't it work both ways? Or are you of the feeling that, well, we're, we're the United States. You can't do that to us. See, I worry about that. In fact... This retaliation, as it's called, is for that drone strike that killed the three U.S. service people in in Jordan on Sunday. But how many times has the United States backed, you can name your country, but certainly Israel would have to be at the top of the list right now. How many times have we been backing Israel with with military might and they have turned around and used that against other people. Do, doesn't that count the same way? I mean, are we responsible if if we hold Iran responsible for these militia groups? Proxies, as they're called? Well, I, again, I what I worry about here the most is what is going to happen to U.S., Military personnel who are pawns in the game over in the Middle East. And I also worry about us here at home. Double-edged sword here at home. One, we're financing a lot of this with our tax dollars. The second thing, the second thing, if you recall 9-11, there are a lot of people that worked in those towers. There are a lot of people that were flying on those airlines that were innocent victims. 
of the war on terror. I know I don't want something similar to happen. I, I don't expect anything as grandiose as what happened on 9-11. But it seems, I understand the retaliation, but I, I don't think in this day and age, this, this is not the 1980s, the 1970s, the 1990s, even the early 2000s. This is 2024. And other countries have weapons that they can use. I, I haven't heard that the Houthis have stopped doing what, what they're doing in, in uh, the Red Sea. And yet the United States keeps on lobbing missiles in their direction. Same with, with Britain. So why, you know, why should we expect that this will not escalate? Even though the National Security Advisor, John Kirby, and the Defense Department, they say we're not looking to escalate. And I want to believe them. I want to believe them. And just to let you know, Iran said pretty much the same thing after they announced that some 16 people died from from the strikes in, in the Middle East yesterday, courtesy of the United States. So nobody wants to escalate, but they want a tit for tat. Isn't that a form of escalate? Or is it just me? Am I overthinking this? Or do you do you smell something that's just been dredged out of the water? 508-996-0500. Brian's Beat, Saturday morning. As I mentioned early on, there's going to be a change at Bristol Community College. Laura Douglas is stepping down as president, effective January of next year. And she's been there for about seven years. And apparently she is retiring. So if you know someone that you believe is qualified to be the president of Bristol Community College, tell them to put their resume together. Uh, Laura Douglas says she is staying on for the year to make for a smooth transition. Hard to believe it's been seven years since the last changeover over there. Speaking of change, speaking of change, for 30 plus years, I have been fighting the Education Reform Act of 1993. One of the the things in that Education Reform Act was what has become known as MCAS. And right now, MCAS is a high school graduation requirement. It is a winner-take-all type test. Now, I knew that there were students in New Bedford and in Dartmouth and, and many communities that did well in school but failed the MCAS. And because they failed the 10th grade MCAS, They could not get a high school diploma. They couldn't graduate. 
And I like to think, you know, I go back to the olden days, sure. But in the olden days, schools came up with their own measurement. They had their own test or they went out and bought a test from you name, you name the company. But that's how they measured student achievement. MCAS is a one size fits all exam and it takes up a lot of time. Teachers don't like it. In fact, the Massachusetts Teachers Union Association, it is the union, turned in 135,000 signatures a couple of months ago to the Secretary of State's office to support a ballot question that basically intends to remove MCAS as a high school graduation requirement. And I want to see it removed. There's also another movement. It's called the Thrive Act. Thrive, T-H-R-I-V-E. And it's a bill, apparently on Beacon Hill, which intends to do the same thing. And next hour, we're going to talk about Thrive with our guest, Ross Grace Jr., who is a school committee member in the city of New Bedford. He supports Thrive, and he'll tell us why. Uh, Quite frankly, he doesn't think the test is fair to all students. No pun intended, but fair enough. Let's just stop getting away from the rigid, pretty, punitive system where one test gets to determine whether a student is competent in a single area. And then, in fact, if that test doesn't work for that student or they have anxiety or English isn't their first language, all of these issues could prevent a student from getting a high school diploma, says State Senator Joe She is one of the sponsors of this legislation. So I'm of the feeling that if the legislature ushers it in, the legislature later on down the road can take it out. So I am a supporter of the ballot question to end. Either way, uh, right now, there, there, are, there are a couple of options. And during hour number two, I would love if you would chime in on which one you think is best. Ross Grace Jr., I, again, I, I hear where he's coming from. You know, he thinks that this has a better chance than the ballot question. I'm, I'm not quite sure myself. I... Um, I have trust in the people more so than I do in Bacon Hill lawmakers. At any rate, um, MCAS in and of itself, I would abolish the whole thing, all the grades. In this particular case, whether you're talking the Thrive Act or the ballot question, it only eliminates MCAST as a graduation requirement. By the way, and 
I, I, you might know this. Maybe you don't know it. It's only a graduation requirement if you go to one of the traditional monopoly schools or to a charter school or to a what they call public magnet school. If you are homeschooled, MCAS doesn't matter. If you go to a private school, most of them do not use MCAS. And they graduate and they 